Matthew 25:14 through 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you deliver to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received it with my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Two weeks ago, I was, I was undone. I was in tears because of a cheesy young adult novel. However, before I tell you about that, I want to make two comments about last week's service. First, I want to thank Steve Burkett, who did an excellent job bringing God's Word last week. If you haven't yet met Steve and his wife Donna, please be sure that you say hi to them at the lunch, as I know they would love to meet you. Normally, I would tell you, hey, go listen to the recording of his sermon. Unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties, so the recording is hard to hear until about halfway through. So, But Steve did an excellent job. Steve, thank you so much. Uh, and also, secondly, about last week's service, yes. Yes, I was in on the joke. I know that last Sunday, despite all of my critique, you all sang We Three Kings in my absence. So other than that song, great job last week, Jacob. In all seriousness, I appreciate Jacob and the worship team, Ian and Erica on the audiovisual, Kevin, Ashley, the ushers, the elders, Steve, because I could be away last week and I knew that the word of God was going to be faithfully proclaimed here in my absence. I knew that Lord, the Lord would be lifted up through faithful and true and biblical worship as it rose from this place. 
But friends, they still, they were not kings and they were not necessarily free of God. Make that clear. But moving on from that, two weeks ago I was, I was just undone by a cheesy young adult novel. Now, many of you know that I regularly run. And while I'm running, I love to listen to podcasts or to audiobooks. And especially on my Saturday long runs, I like to get lost in a good audiobook as I get lost in Camden Hills State Park. And so I've taken the opportunity to, to re-listen to some classics, you know, Robinson Crusoe, The Scarlet Pimpernel, some other classics. But sometimes I just like a little bit of brain candy. And sometimes you just like to listen to, you know, a little, little something lighter. And two weeks ago, I was listening to a book from a series called Percy Jackson and the Olympians, which my children had enjoyed when they were younger. And I know some of the kids in here you might have read. It's a series of young adult novels, and what it does is it imagines that the Greek gods are real and that they're active today. And just as in the actual the Greek myths that we read, that sometimes those Greek gods have children with mortals, which result in half-bloods or demigods that become great heroes. And so the title character, Percy Jackson, is the son of Poseidon, the sea god. Now, for those who enjoy Greek mythology and goofy young adult antics, you know, the books, they can be interesting and even fun sometimes, but rarely have I ever found the books to be profound. That is, until two weeks ago, as I was getting to the end of book three. Now, for those who remember their Greek mythology, Artemis is the goddess of the hunt, and she has who accompany her huntresses who go with her on the hunt. And so during the final climactic battle in this book three, there was a huntress, a lieutenant of hers named Zoe, who received a mortal wound as she served the goddess. And so the battle is over. The heroes have won, but this is the scene that unfolds. Artemis tried to set her hand on Zoe's side, but Zoe gripped her wrist. She looked into the goddess's eyes and some kind of understanding passed between them. Have I served thee well? Zoe asked. With great honor, Artemis said softly, the finest of my attendants. And Zoe's eyes fixed on the night sky, and she did not move again. Have I served thee well? Have I served thee well? That, that scene and that question absolutely broke me. As I'm there running through the middle of Camden Hill State Park, tears are streaming down my cheeks. And I'm trying not to sob so I can keep breathing. Have I served you well? Friends, every one of us at the end is going to lay dying in our beds. And Jesus, our Savior, is going to come for us to bring us home. And we are going to look into His tender face and we are going to ask the same question. Have I served you well? And how is He going to answer? How is Jesus going to answer? Today's parable that Ashley read for us is part of a larger sermon that Jesus gave privately to His disciples. It came in response to a question that the disciples asked. And in the beginning of Matthew chapter 24, Jesus made a comment about the, the temple being taken down and, and no stone being left upon another. And the disciples responded with a question in Matthew 24, verse 3. Tell us, 
when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus then gives an exposition about the destruction of the temple and then the end of the age. And he warns his disciples of the coming danger in the days in which we live. Jesus proclaims that no one knows the day or the hour when ultimately he's going to return. And as such, a servant of Jesus should always live alert, should always serve faithfully, knowing that at any time the master might return. And so in Jesus' sermon here, there are four shorter parables, followed by three longer parables. And the one that Ashley read for us is the second of the three longer parables, commonly known as the parable of the talent. So a wealthy owner goes away and he entrusts into their care, the care of his servants, some of his resources, his money. And the monetary unit that's discussed here is the talent. Now, how much is a talent? Well, according to the ESV Study Bible, in New Testament times, the talent was about 6,000 drachmas, which was the equivalent of 20 years' wages for a laborer. So looking at the low end of the spectrum in modern times, if a laborer was to earn $15 an hour, work 2,000 hours in a year, he would earn $30,000 per year, so a talent would equal about $600,000 on the low end. This was significant money that the owner entrusted his servants. But friends, this wasn't an uncommon practice in that day. Bond servants were not allowed to own their own property. So often, their masters would entrust to the servants their property to use it for his advantage. The gift that was given to these servants was an absolute gift. The, the money and the profit from the money all belonged still to the master. In the same way that you or I might hire a modern-day money manager to take our money and put it to work for us. It's still our money. And the profit is our profit. So the parable imagines that the, the master has entrusted his servants with significant resources. He goes away on a journey and then he returns. And it's time for a reckoning. Now, the parable, like all good jokes, has three movements. Three, three movements, that's four there. Three movements. The first two movements are meant to set up the norm. And then the punchline, or the third movement, defies the norm and makes the point. So notice the first two elements in the parable are pretty much identical. The, the servant who received five talents doubled it. The servant who received two talents doubled it. And both of them received the exact same response from the master. Verses 21 and 23, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master. So this is the setup. This is the expectation that's being set. The good and faithful servant has invested the master's resources, has received a profit, and presents it now. But then the punchline, the third one, makes the point because it deviates from the established and the expected script. Rather than investing his master's money, this servant buried the money. Now, that's not as strange a thing as you might think. In fact, digging a hole and burying valuables 
was a very common way of protecting them in the ancient world. In fact, according to the rabbinic law, if you were entrusted with someone else's property and you dug a hole and you hid it, and yet something happened that was found and stolen, you wouldn't be held responsible because it was considered such a safe way to preserve property. So this servant, what did he do, friends? He took the path of least work. He took the path of least resistance. He took the path of least risk. And when the master returns and says, show me the money, because he just watched Jerry Maguire, show me the money. And there's a few of you that got that one. The only thing the servant has to offer is a litany of excuses. Now, friends, the, the servant's excuses were lame. They were utterly lame. The servant says he was afraid because he says, oh, I thought you were really harsh and demanding. And the master calls the servant out and he goes, if you truly believed I was demanding, wouldn't you have worked harder to please me and not worked less? It doesn't make any sense. Friends, it's not that this servant doesn't understand the master as he claims. It's that this servant doesn't care about the master. The servant doesn't care. Have I served you well? Have I served you well? And friends, the master's furious. The master's declared a blessing on the first two servants, but he declares a curse on the last servant. I mean, notice it's the exact opposite. You you wicked and slothful servant versus good and faithful servants. You've been unfaithful with little, it's going to be taken away. You've been faithful over little, I'll set you over much. Enter the joy of your master versus cast the worthless servant out into the utter darkness. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, friends, while the master was gone, all three servants, and this third servant included, they lived in the master's house. They ate from the master's table. They benefited from the master's resources and generosity. All of the master's services and goodness served them. But clearly this third servant did not care. But have I served you? Have I served you well? Because everything that came from the master was to be used for the master. And yet this servant clearly understood himself as a beneficiary of the master's generosity, but not a steward of the master's generosity. And friends, this church was told by Jesus as a warning to his disciples then and his disciples today, lest any of us do the same. It's a warning lest any of us fail to ask the question, do I serve you well? Do I serve you well? Because we noted this parable is part of a larger sermon about how we are to live. Friends, how are we to live now between Jesus' first coming and his second coming? How are we to live so that when Jesus returns, when the master comes back and we ask, have I served you well? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, friends, I want to make an aside at this point to make sure that no one here are misunderstands. I don't want anybody to misunderstand. I'm not here talking about earning God's favor or deserving God's love. Because, friends, we know that we have freely received God's favor. We've freely been given His love by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is the gift of God, not a result of any works that we have done, can do, or ever will do. 
This is the gospel. This is the good news. Friends, if you're here today or if you're watching online and you've not yet responded to this gospel, to this good news, the good news of what Jesus has done for you to forgive your sins and bring you into relationship with God, then talk to me. I would love to talk to you and pray with you after the service. I would love if you send me an email if you're online so that we can set up a time to meet so that this good news can become your news. But friends, I'm talking to those of you who are gospel people. Those of you who know Jesus Christ and know the salvation that He has brought. Who know that we've been welcomed by sovereign grace into the household of God. How now do we live? As now that we've been included by grace as members of the household of God, how now do we live until the Master returns? How do we live in response to His sovereign grace? What should we do with the overwhelming blessings that we've received as members, as participants in the household of God? Church, we need to grow. We need to grow in our identity as servants. Our identity as stewards of God's blessings. What we should do is determined by who we are. Our activity will flow from our identity, and we need to grow in our identity, our understanding of ourselves as stewards, as servants of Jesus. Because the first two servants, you know, they clearly understood they were stewards, they were servants of the Master. But the third one, well, the third one, his question wasn't, did I serve you well? His question to the Master was, do you serve me well? Church, how many of us are guilty of approaching God in the same way? Do you serve me well? Do you work for me? Do you give me what I desire? Do I benefit from you? And how often are we guilty of not asking, Lord, have I served you well? Have I served you well? Friends, we're a steward of His blessings. He's given us talents and time and treasures and abilities all to invest for His kingdom and for His glory. Church, every blessing we've received from Christ is to be used for Christ. Every blessing you have received from Christ is to be used for Christ because we are but stewards of what He's given us. You know, there's, there's a worship song that I often hear on Christian radio titled, Great Are You, Lord? And the chorus simply declares, It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. You gifted us breath in our lungs. Friends, you weren't guaranteed breath in your lungs. You weren't promised another day of life. You weren't promised any of the good things that you've received. And if it's your breath that's in our lungs, I'm going to pour it out in service to you and to your kingdom. Friends, it's the same with everything that we've received. We are but stewards of this breath. We are but stewards of our wealth. We are but stewards of our time. We are but stewards of our talents. We are but stewards of this life. And have I served you well? Have I served you well? Church, in this new year, what we don't need is a commitment just to activities. We need a commitment to grow in our identity. 
an identity of a servant, a steward of all the good things that Christ has given us. Christ, have I served you well? And one of the best ways we can do that is by regularly and daily approaching the Master and asking, Lord, how do I serve you well? Show me how to serve you well. It's one of the reasons why we regularly emphasize the reading of Scripture. Because a servant seeks her master's will. A servant seeks to know his master's words. Friends, how can you say that you serve a master if you don't know what the master desires? He invites us to commune with him. He invites us to sit at his feet. He invites us to listen to his word. He invites us to strengthen our identity as stewards. Because, friends, the daily practice or habit of listening to the Master, of listening to His Word, will strengthen our identity as servants and our understanding of ourselves as servants. You know, it was fascinating. Last week I was listening to a podcast while I was running, and it was an interview with an author by the name of James Clear, who's written a book that some of you might have read called Atomic Habits. And it's all about developing good habits. And he made a shocking statement, or at least a surprising statement to me in the interview, so much so that I went back to find it so that I could share it with you today. And this is what he said in the interview. He said, the big picture is that I think your habits matter not just because of the results they get you, but because of the identity they reinforce. So your habits are how you embody a particular identity. For example, when you make your bed in the morning... You embody the identity of someone who's clean and organized. I don't do that. I don't make my bed in the morning. Or if you study biology for 20 minutes on a Tuesday night, you're embodying the identity of someone who's studious. And we often talk about habits as mattering because they can help you be more productive or lose weight or make more money or whatever. And that's true that habits can help you get those results. But the real reason that habits matter is that every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person that you want to become. Every morning when I heed the alarm and I lace up my sneakers and I go for a run, my running reinforces my identity as a runner. And then because activity flows from identity, I continue running because I am a runner. And the more I run, the more I identify as a runner. And the more that I think of myself as a runner, the more that I want to run. Friends, identity and activity reinforce one another. And that's how we grow in an identity in church. We need to practice. We need to put on the identity of servants, of stewards who regularly sit in the presence of their master and say, How can I serve you well, Lord? We need to practice putting on the identity of servants. And the most basic, fundamental thing we can do, there are many things we can do, but the most basic thing we can do is to regularly commit to sit at the feet of the Master, to study His Word, and to say, Lord, how can I serve you well this year? How can I serve you well with this life? How can I serve you well with everything that I do. And friends, every time we do that, we are making a vote for the type of person we want to become. We're reinforcing our identity as servants of Christ. The more we read the Bible, the more we understand ourselves to be a servant, the more we'll want to read the Bible. And friends, it will change us. 
it will change us. Not only does sitting at the feet of the Master inform you as to what He desires, it transforms you, reinforcing and growing you in your identity as a servant of Jesus. So friends, what we need and what we're asking when we talk about reading the Bible is not saying, hey, just commit yourself to an activity. Friends, we don't need to just commit ourselves just to activities. We're saying, we want you to grow in your identity. And the way to grow in your identity as a servant of Christ is to regularly, daily, sit at His feet and say, Lord, how can I serve you well? How can I serve you well? We don't need to commit to disconnected activity, but to grow in identity. As we sang this morning, friends, let this be our prayer in 2023. So, Spirit, come and put strength in every stride. Give grace for every hurdle that we may run with faith to win the prize of a servant good and faithful. Because, friends, one day, The Master will return, or He'll call you home. And when you look into His face and you ask Him, Have I served you well? What do you want Him to say? Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to serve you well. Help us to approach You. Help us to hear You. Help us to follow and obey You. And help us that we might be servants, good and faithful, not just in 2023, but until You return. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. If those who are going to serve Communion this morning.